Grace eliminates all condemnation in Jesus Christ. Are you living life through the lens of behavior? How does that make others feel? How does that make you feel? Follow along with us for this next episode of the Grace Walk series. A few years back, Cindy and I um, were members, uh, or we joined the Georgetown Recreational Center. And uh, when it was uh, too hot outside or too cold outside, I would go down to the rec center and walk for my uh, uh, morning exercise because they had an indoor track. And I would go up there on that second floor, and I would go around the track. It had two lanes, 12 laps around. You get a mile in, okay? Um, so one day, I am on the uh, track on my earphones listening to worship music, and uh, I felt like I was kind of all by myself. There were two other people on the track that I noticed around the track, and, um, but you kind of felt like you were on your own. And I always walked on the outside lane so that every time I walked around, I would get the maximum benefit. And so I'm just walking away, and I feel this tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. Startled me, because I thought kind of I was the only one out there. I turned around, and there's this little, tiny lady. I pulled the earphones out of my ears, and she said this. If you would read the rules posted on the wall... You would know that if you just want to walk, you are to use the inside lane because the outside lane is reserved for those of us who would like to run. I promptly moved over to the inside lane, complying my behavior, and uh, said I was sorry as she waddled, I sped off. And the, run, the thought runs through my mind. There are three people on the track. Why couldn't you just go around me? Why make a federal case out of this? Then it turned sinister, and I thought of the things that I ought to say when she laps me again. I thought, I'm going to stop her and ask, do you feel better now that you have corrected me? I thought about facetiously and sarcastically apologizing and bowing as she went by again. I have to admit, I also thought about just sticking my foot out the next time. <laughs> and just as my plan was being hatched in my mind, I noticed someone else joined the track a member of this church. <laughs> then I looked down and noticed I was wearing a Grace Bible Church t-shirt. My plans went down the tubes. So I had a good laugh to myself and went on and uh, realized that the Lord was trying to teach me something. But later in my very lengthy walk, yes, very lengthy walk, Guess what I noticed? Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> Another lady came on the track, and she was walking in the wrong lane. <laughs> what do you think raced through my mind? She needs to read the rules. 
I need to tell her so that I can make myself feel superior because I now knew the rules of the track. I actually didn't say a word. I just passed her with a look that's communicated, you ought to read the rules. (laughs) There are people in the world who feel they have a calling to be humanity's monitor so that we all are following the rules. But where it gets tricky is that there are times when we can all fall into the trap of becoming the rule enforcer. Especially when you feel the rules are being enforced on you. And does it ever happen spiritually? Uh, You know what I mean. Do Christians ever see other Christians doing things they wouldn't do themselves and feel compelled to confront and speak the truth in love? in order to feel superior to the rule breaker. Does it ever happen? We're in the next to last week of our series called Grace Walk, and each week we present a truth statement and see how Scripture supports it. Here's today's statement. Trying to live by religious rules is the surest way to live defeated. Amen. This is the legalistic Christian. Now, I'm sure if we took a poll out here today and uh, asked the audience, how many of you are legalistic Christians, none of you would admit to it. But when was the last time you sized up the behavior of another and drawn conclusions as to their spiritual maturity? Or when have you seen the activities of a fellow brother or sister and said, oh, I would never do that? That's living by the law. And we read this passage of Scripture that helps us understand what the purpose of the law was. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 9. But if the ministry of death, first of all, you have to understand that's a reference to the law. It's the ministry of death. In letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. So the law is glorious. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. There's two references, two adjectives of the law in the passage. One is death and one is condemnation. The purpose of the law was given to explain and show us the inadequacy that we have of being righteous in and of ourselves. But if you live as a Christian still under the taskmaster of the law, certain things begin to emerge. And I'm going to look at two traits of the legalistic Christian. Not that we have any here today, okay? Trait number one, they condemn others. After all, if you live by the law, it's the, it's the, it's the ministry of condemnation. Does anybody feel called to the ministry of condemnation? 
The passage says that that is the definition of the ministry of the law. Rules were given by God that outlined how a person ought to act in order to be a good person. So people would see the commandments, make it their life mission to follow them so that not only God would deem them righteous, but others would also. Yet the law is the ministry of condemnation because nobody can do it. The law, or living by rules, always places the weight of condemnation on a person. And if they have to live under such a weight, well, so do you. If I have to go through this, I'm going to make sure everybody around me goes through this. I remember when I was serving at a church in Florida many years ago. I was the minister of music. And one Sunday, we arrived at church, and right there in the main hallway of the church was this large hole in the wall that had not been there before. I'll never forget this lady named Mildred. She was a teacher in the children's department and a first-class raging legalist. She kept those kids in order. She saw that hole, and what was her first question? First of all, what would be your first question? Who did this? She found out that there was a youth activity the night before at the church. I remember thinking, I sure am glad that I am not the youth pastor. (laughs) It all ended extremely poorly. She had her say. The perpetrator was revealed and promptly scolded. Everyone loses under the weight of condemnation, folks, including Mildred. The problem is she doesn't realize it. Her pride and superiority complex were ugly, sinful, and prevented her from seeing the freedom that grace provides in Christ. So Christian legalists condemn others. It's kind of their life's calling. But probably because of the second one is they condemn themselves. Now this may sound wrong, but it's true. People who are always putting themselves down, quick to take the blame for everything and anything, seeing themselves constantly as coming up short, are themselves legalists. Legalists are people who evaluate all of life through a behavioral standard. And when a person who is prone to self-condemnation, when they fail at doing something, that failure is magnified to reinforce the belief that they are just a loser, they're incapable, they're never measuring up. And so they bring and heap this condemnation on themselves and I want, to know, I want you to know today, that is unhelpful. Because it's unbiblical and it's untruthful. Because of Romans 1, 8, 1. Look what it says. Therefore, there is now what? Say it again. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise God. We are free from the law of sin and death. 
Do you realize what it means that grace eliminates all condemnation? All condemnation. You are free in grace, free from the requirements of the rules of the law. So here's my point. No more rules. You like it, right? Some of you have one eyebrow raised. No more condemnation of others because they're not following the rules. No more condemnation of yourself because of your failure to follow the rules. If you continue self-condemning or condemning others, I want you to know today that you are out of alignment with Scripture and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let me give you this example. Let's say you are the parent of a teenager who has just turned 16 and they passed the driver's test. That's a great day, isn't it, in the life of a parent? They have their license and, in their mind, their freedom. You sit them down and talk about the responsibility of rule following when it comes to their driving, and you also tell them about the importance of this idea called curfew. You tell them it's 11 p.m. and it is never to be violated. The next night, they do well. It's their home at 11. The next weekend, it's 11.05 with a long list of excuses to which you as the parent provide the necessary condemnation and warning of future infractions. Then the test comes the next week when he arrives at midnight. The hammer drops, the keys are taken away. But what if it was approached like this? The teen gets the license and the parent rejoices with the teen over their newfound freedom. No curfew is set. The teen, the teen automatically wonders what's going on. Am I really free? They come home the first night at 11 knowing that there's some, something's up. And the parent welcomes them with a big hug. Glad you're home. They test their freedom, and the next night it's 11.05. They're welcomed with a big hug. So they say, well, let's really put this to the test. The next week it's midnight. And the parent welcomes them with a big hug. If you've ever been the parent of a teen, right now you're objecting to everything I'm saying. <laughs> you're saying, you can't just set them free. That's what a whole lot of Christians say about grace. What happens over time 
staying out late loses its appeal. And in fact, the hug upon arrival, it's just better. Now, I'm not suggesting a new parenting technique for teenagers. (laughs) But I am definitely illustrating the freedom we enjoy in Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.1 says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You're free. Why would you sign up for all the rules again? And the yoke of slavery is what he calls the law. Living from a behavior-based orientation in the Christian life is slavery. He wants the yoke, the burden, the snare of rules to be gone. The legalist demands rules because they don't see any other way to prevent sinful, destructive behavior. You can't just let people run free spiritually, can you? Don't you have to keep some form of leverage? Don't you have to keep in your back pocket the ability to pose, impose some guilt? You can't just let them be free. We've all grown up in the world system of behavior-oriented validation. We're all very well acquainted with it. It's the way the whole world works. And when we become a Christian, we can't fathom freedom. And so automatically we want to know what it is that we're supposed to do in order to fulfill the requirements of this new life in Christ. We carry the old system of the world and its achievements and rewards and punishments for proper behavior. We carry it right into our relationship with Jesus. A Christian comes to Christ because they need some answers in their life. And maybe they need to know how to serve in the church or what vocation to seek or college to attend. They they come to Jesus. All they want to do is follow him and do his will. And so they come to him and they affirm their love for him. And and now they say, now... uh, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Anybody ever been there? And Jesus says, good, you're here. I I want to talk to you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to receive my love. Oh, and the Christian is just kind of patronizing Jesus and says, oh, I'm so thankful that you love me, Jesus, and I understand that I get that, so now let's get on with the business at hand. What do you want me to do? Again, Jesus says, I want you to receive my love and rest in it. And, And many Christians who have tried to bring the old world system of behavior oriented validation into their Christian life, they get very frustrated with Jesus. Because they filter life through this behavior, achievement, doing, and he just doesn't. I thought about this this week. Can you imagine being in our new home of heaven? It's coming, you know. It's coming. (laughs) Imagine, Imagine being in this place called heaven, face to face with Jesus in this this loving community of believers and uh, 
Do you know that none of us are going to have any emotional baggage in heaven? Amen. <laughs> we're just going to be we're just going to be the nicest people to be around. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. I shouldn't have said that probably. <laughs> but imagine being in this this unbelievable place of love and glory and having this same conversation with Jesus you pull him aside you pull him aside and you say now don't get me wrong this is awesome this is great Jesus I'm so glad I'm here but I want to achieve great results here in this heaven so could you please give me my assignment and tell me how I can achieve here? It's absurd there, and it's absurd here. We are called to rest in Jesus and see what he will do in our life. So, what does living free from rules and regulations and requirements really look like? And I want to go to a passage that we looked at last week in Romans 7, the first part of it. It talks about marriage and how a, a woman is free to marry another once her husband dies. And so, we've died to the law through Christ, so now we're free to marry another. And that's the illustration going on. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren... You also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, key, that's key there, you understand that the law arouses sinful passions. It's one of those things, if something says, do not touch, what do you want to do? Do not enter, what do you want to do? It arouses the thought of breaking the law. We're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. It doesn't say in the passage that you have died to the law that you may be joined to another system of behavioral compliance. You've just traded the world system now for the Bible. You have died to the law so that you would be joined to another. And it specifies who that is in the passage. To him who was raised from the dead. Jesus. Here's the point. Jesus sees our relationship as a marriage. The word joined in the passage means to be owned or belong to. And it's not so much a theological understanding as it is a relational understanding. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood to redeem you so that he could have you with him. That you would belong to him. And there's a reason that Jesus calls the church his what? bride and there's a reason that he's been gone for 2,000 years 
Because what's he been doing? He's been adding rooms onto the Father's house. He's been getting ready for who? His bride. Us. So that we may be with him forever and ever in an intimate, loving relationship. There are many Christians who know they have been set free from the law. They enjoy the release. But they don't live joined to him. They live more out of this sense of, I've got this new theology and freedom, so woohoo! Just live my freedom. No rules. Dangerous. I got to be honest with you this morning. Sometimes I read stuff about teachings on grace and uh, and I'm left with the implication that if you understand this theology, you're just going to be a happier person because now your behavior doesn't matter at all. Enjoy your freedom. Sometimes they'll say things like, don't worry about sin anymore. It's all forgiven. Don't ever apologize to God. Don't ever ask for forgiveness because the issue is settled. You're free. That bothers me. To me, that's not the way a marriage works. If I harm my wife in some way, I don't boast that I don't need to ask for forgiveness because I have a marriage license in the drawer. I realize that my reconciliation with her is not about our legal connection of marriage. It is about our relational connection of love. When I sin, I don't just blow it off as being already forgiven by God. doesn't matter. But I recognize my distance from him that brought about my vulnerability to the temptation in the first place. I want that protection of his presence in my life restored, and I restore connection to him personally. I talk with him. I spend time with him. I worship And I receive from him the closeness of his abiding spirit. Abiding in close personal relationship with Jesus is the only protection we have against the arrows of the enemy, folks. That's it. You can't do it. He can. On the last night before his crucifixion, Jesus was with his disciples, and he taught them many things, significant things. You can read the whole thing, John 13 to 17. But one of the things he said is so often mistaught is found in the 15th verse of chapter 14. It just is two phrases. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Amen. Now the legalistic Christian will read that 
And it's a call for them to obedience, to try harder. I want to show Jesus that I love him, and I will do it through my obedience to the rules. The free Christian reads that and is comforted because the verse means that when I'm close to him in a loving relationship, the keeping of the commandments is just the byproduct and the consequence of that relationship. He doesn't say, if you have a loving relationship with me, you might be better at keeping commandments. He says, it's an, you have a loving relationship with me, you'll keep the commandments. Obedience is just a natural flow of a loving relationship. When my wife asks me to do something, I don't go, well, hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't know. No. You love Jesus, you will keep his commandments and abide in him and you will bear fruit. There's all these passages of scripture. Which is first? <laughs> right? You may be here today and have never thought of yourself as a legalistic Christian, but now you're not so sure. <laughs> Perhaps you've been assessing your walk with Christ in terms of behavior or knowledge or ministry success instead of the closeness of his spirit the abiding presence of Jesus. You may be here today and have uh, never surrendered your life to Jesus because I don't want to be a Christian. I can't do that. I can't live that life. And you know what I say to that? Join the club. None of us can. We all need him. <laughs> he doesn't want you because he needs a new maid or butler. He wants you because he deeply loves you. He wants to bring you into his family, his home. And, uh, he wants you to know his complete, lavish forgiveness and acceptance and security of his love. And Will you give your life to him today? I'm telling you, the, the, the opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus is closing soon. He's about to return. He's about to take his bride home to the place he's been working on. Don't wait. My invitation is to come to him today. I'm just going to close with these two quotes from Watchman Nee and just let them stand on their own. Number one, God is not seeking a display of my Christ-likeness, but a manifestation of his Christ. He doesn't want to see what it is that I can do to try to be as Jesus-like as I possibly can. He wants to see if I can just rest in Christ and see what Christ can do through me. And the other one is this. There's nothing more tragic than to come to the end of life and know we've been on the wrong course. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.